0: You're listening to a Big Heads Media podcast. Tonight, two New Jersey towns battle it out for creepiest road. I'm discussing West Milford, New Jersey and Independence Township, New Jersey. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Mm-hmm. here we are for Season 2, Episode 3. I am recording this tonight on Friday the 13th with a full moon. So we'll see how it goes. Actually, I guess it's after midnight. It's Saturday it's Saturday now. I beat it. I've beaten it. Um, see, In uh, getting ready for the show, uh, if you hear it, I don't know if it'll pick it up or not. There is a cricket. I went outside to attempt to scare off the cricket. Uh, I found two snakes outside of the window. They are making the noise. So that's been cool. Uh, everything else, though, should be pretty good to go. Hopefully this stupid cricket doesn't pick up too much. Uh, if not, by the time I add uh, background music, it'll kill it down a little bit more. So I apologize. But let's get on with the show. Tonight's show isn't... I don't want to go out and say that it was a requested episode. Um, It kind of was, I guess, a little bit. I had a while back someone followed me on Twitter and I followed them back and they suggested a bunch of interesting topics because they live in New Jersey uh for the show. I did steal I did write a couple of those down. And then someone else emailed me in saying, Hey, there's a bunch of great stuff in New Jersey, you know, and they pointed me towards the Weird New Jersey website with a couple of other ideas, and I noticed that each one of these guys sent me uh, a link or a story idea to uh, roads in New Jersey, two roads, Shades of Death Road, which is the coolest name ever, and Clinton Road, which isn't that scary name of a road, but it's not all in a name, right? So I decided to go ahead and do a New Jersey-centric episode and pit these two towns up against each other we're going to talk about them and i think what i'm going to do when i get this episode out i'm going to go on twitter and make a poll so if you jump on twitter and follow me or if, if you already do follow me that's great if you don't follow me get on twitter go to sts at stscast.com and i'm going to put up a poll and we'll uh, maybe we'll have everybody vote and we'll see who wins which 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 uh which of which of which I'm gonna say that like eighty times, and I'm not gonna edit it out either. Which road is the creepiest road in New Jersey? Uh, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, uh, there was some someone pointed me towards the weird New Jersey, which I knew existed, but I didn't realize it was such a large thing. There's, you know, a website, there's books, coffee table books, and a magazine. Like think about that for a second of how much weird stuff, creepy stuff, you know, off-the-beaten-path stuff has to happen in New Jersey for there to be enough content to create a magazine about it that's been around for at least since 2000. And I think it's quarterly. I think it's four issues a year. But still, that's a lot of stuff for one state to be like, oh, yeah, we can sustain an entire magazine off of this. So a lot of the information tonight is going to come from Weird New Jersey. It's a great resource. There will be links to check all of that stuff out. And that will be our content, our stories for tonight. Before we get into it, I want to let everyone once again know about the Dirty Knee Soap Company. They are, quite frankly, it's the best soap I've ever used. It's the best soap-like products I've ever used. The beard oil I use. The bar soap I use. They have, They have body lotion. They have body butter. They have hand lotion, bunch of stuff, in a bunch of great scents. Uh, if you get on their site at Dirty New Soap Company and put in Cast at the checkout, you'll get 10% off, and that'll give me a little something-something to help the show out. You can also go to stscast.com, go up to the support tab, and up there there is a PayPal donation link, which I don't really talk about a lot, but it is there if anyone wants to make a small donation and help the show out even more. And there is a link through that will take you to the Dirty Knees Soap Company and buy yourself some soap and quit stinking and help the show out a little bit. That would be great. And, of course, we have a promo from another Big Heads Media podcast. This week's is for two rash challenges, so take a listen. Check them out if it's something you're into, and we'll be right back after this I'm Dave Lewis a massive
1: Liverpool supporter and I'm Eric Neal Newcastle United toon toon black and white army we're the hosts of two rash challenges a weekly podcast about the English Premier League Champions League MLS the men's national team and whatever else strikes our fancy in the world of football Look for us on iTunes and Transistor, and check us out on Twitter at Rash underscore podcast.
0: Hey, it's the podcast nobody asked for. And we are back to talk about a couple of creepy roads. The first one we're going to hit is Independence Township, New Jersey, which is, I think, kind of the closest centralized place to Shades of Death Road, and I want to shout out Mark Silverman, or HRI Civic 18, on Instagram for letting me use his Instagram pic of the Shades of Death Road road sign for the episode tile for this week. Let's put the phone all the way over here so that doesn't buzz and do weird stuff over the microphone. And um, if, you, if you look at that episode tile, you'll notice something kind of odd already is that Unlike the normal kind of green street sign that goes horizontally, it doesn't do that. It's a big, long sign that goes vertically. And they, they have the normal signs, but some of the signs are these big, vertical, cumbersome signs. And the reason for that is to make it harder to uh, steal, frankly. But, yeah, it was kind of hard to find a good picture for that tile. I couldn't find one that was framed quite right. And he had just just the perfect picture, so... Thanks for letting me use that. And we're going to go on to Shades of Death Road. And just from the name, you know it's got to be chock full of creepy stuff. And Shades of Death Road, or just Shades for short, is indeed full of stories. The road runs north-south in between Liberty and Independence Townships in rural New Jersey. Its southern end runs along the Jenny Jump State Forest. There are many ideas on how the road got its grim name. Here are just a few examples. Robbers and bandits used to wait in ambush on the southern tree-covered end of the road, murdering and pillaging unsuspected passerbys. Uh, perhaps it was the other way around. Did the local townsfolk fight back, killing a bunch of these robbers and stringing them up in the trees as a warning? Maybe. It may have gotten its name from yearly outbreaks of malaria back in the 1850s. Bear Swamp was close to the road, and for years, malaria-carrying mosquitoes were bred in the wetlands, killing many. The outbreaks were so bad that the swamp was drained in 1884. Does the name arrive from three supposed murders that took place in the 20s and 30s? Let's see, There were, like I said, there were three of them, and two of them sound like they could just be made-up legends. The third one at least has a name associated with it, but I couldn't find uh, anything really concrete on it. So let's see, you have uh, the woman who allegedly killed and beheaded her husband, and then she buried the head on one side of the road and the body on the other. And then there you have the man who was beaten to death with a tire iron over some gold coins. And then there's Bill Cummings, who was killed in cold blood and buried along the road, and his killer has never been found. Whatever the reason, Shades seems to live up to his reputation. There are plenty of weird spots along the way, such as Lenape Lane. It's a one-way unpaved road that dead ends into an abandoned farmhouse complete with stable. It is said that visitors to the place will experience strange fogs that pop up out of nowhere. Apparently, apparitions can be seen within the fog. Some have experienced a white orb which appears out of nowhere and likes to chase your car back down the lane and out towards Shades Road. The aptly named Ghost Lake it's just off of Shades Road on the I-80 overpass. The lake was made and built by two men damming up a nearby stream on in between their respective properties. They named the body of water Ghost Lake because of the water vapor that would rise off the water in the mornings. However, there have been accounts of some ghostly happenings at the lake. So on the Weird New Jersey website for... the section of the website for Shades of Death Road, there is a couple of experiences set in by... Uh, a person named Fievel, or naming themselves Fival. So I'm going to read those, because they were pretty good accounts. And here we go. There's an old cabin right off of Ghost Lake. You can barely see it in the day, but at night forget it. If you don't know where to look, you won't find it. Me and a couple of kids were inside one night, and I remember it was trashed. The windows were all broken. The walls were falling apart. The floors had holes in it. The place was a mess. In one end of the far corners of the house is a hallway with piano built into the wall. The keys were all smashed up on it, and that alone is enough to be kind of freaky. We went on exploring the place, and then went upstairs, and I was the last person up the stairs. I remember that there wasn't anybody else downstairs, and all of a sudden, the piano sounded like someone banged on it really hard. And then it happened again, and there was a crunching sound like the glass on the floor was being stepped on. The sound came closer and closer down the hallway. Our first reaction, that it was the cops. But when we heard the sound right in front of us and saw no flashlight we quickly ruled out that one someone shined a light on the area and there was nothing there we took off out of there as quickly as we could and we didn't look back when we got to the road we noticed that there was no cars parked alongside the road so it wasn't anybody fucking with us i have a couple of stories about shades of death road the first one is when i was up there with a couple of friends one night and we were all sitting along ghost lake when this car filled with kids drove by They had flashlights and at first they looked like they were just shining them on us and trying to freak us out. They drove by a couple of times doing this. It didn't work, so we motioned for them to pull in and they asked us if we saw the guy. They told us that there was some guy walking really strangely by the guardrail on that side of the road. He was wearing a flannel shirt and overalls and kind of limped, but when the kids drove by, trying to get a good look at the guy, he kept turning his head, then he just disappeared. You have to remember that there were four kids about 20 feet away from the guardrail and we didn't even have a clue about some guy being there. Another time we parked at Ghost Lake, my friend and I were just sitting in the car. It was about 2 or 3 in the morning. The people who maintained the park were trying to grow grass or something because there was hay on the ground. I remember sitting there for about 10 minutes, about to leave, when all of a sudden I saw the hay move. But it wasn't from the wind or anything like that. The hay had moved if someone was walking on it. Footprints went all the way around the car over and over again. This went on for about 10 minutes. The whole time I was sitting there going, yo, did you see that? And My friend was like, yeah, that's crazy. What the fuck is that? And then we just stopped and we left. We don't have any clue what it was that did it, but it wasn't the wind or any kind of small animal like a chipmunk. Then you have the Fairy Hole, which is located pretty close to Ghost Lake. The site was surveyed by archaeologists in 1918. Inside, they found arrowheads, pottery shards, and other stuff left over from the Lenepe tribe. They concluded that the cave was seldom visited by the tribe and was probably a resting place for hunting and traveling. Visitors to the cave report whispers and voices. And those are just a few accounts of the strange happening on Shades of Death Road via the great website of Weird New Jersey. But they have one more story that I want to tell, and that is the the story... Of the Polaroids. In the 14th issue of Weird New Jersey, a few people sent in some stories that turned the creepiness up to 11. The magazine received two reports from readers about finding strange Polaroids scattered all over a dirt road that shoots off of shades of Death Road. Weird New Jersey articles sparked a police investigation, but soon after that the evidence vanished. So I'm I'm assuming the pictures dried up. I'm assuming someone probably got wind of it and went out there and grabbed them all. So, that issue is from like the year 2000, and I wasn't able to really grab a back issue of it. They are out there, but I wasn't one. It was like 30 bucks, and it was I don't think I would have gotten it in time. But luckily, there is a excerpt of it from uh, from one of the coffee table books I think from Google Books. So I'm gonna just read that out. Uh, it's short and sweet, and see what you think. The Polaroids of Shades. My husband and I decided to take a ride down Shades of Death Road. We ended up on a dirt road that leads to it coming from... For scene, I think. Then there were tons, I mean tons of Polaroid photos scattered everywhere. They were very weird. They were all pictures of women. None of them smiling, almost as if they were caught off guard. Many of the pictures were people lying down on something metal, and they didn't look to be asleep. And that was sent into them by Anonymous. Picture not perfect. Polaroid Trail is on a road that intersects with shades of death road. On the drive there, we had many questions about what we had heard. Do you really think there are tons of pictures? Do you really think they are dead people? When we found it, our headlights fixed on a hill that was dripping with pictures onto the road. I ran up the hill. With thousands of Polaroid pictures were lying, grabbing two handfuls each, we ran back into the car and threw the pictures on the floor. It wasn't until we reached Route 80 that I turned the dome light on to sneak a peek. I will tell you this. Although I don't think anybody in the pictures is dead, they are mostly of a woman. I once heard a tale about a man who hid in the woods and waited for people to walk by. He would snap your photo the second before he killed you. Of course I heard of this story in Pennsylvania, but if you were out for a midday hike and you see a camera flash, run. And that was from Huck Soul. So, those are just, I mean, that is the best kind of modern day creepypasta story. And I'm going to backtrack for a second. If you are too young to know what Polaroids are, they are cameras, children, that used to take pictures and then it would spit the picture out and develop before your eyes in about a minute. That used to be the thing. So that is Shades of Death Road. It's got a great name. It has some great stories behind it. But let's see what we have in store with Clinton Road. Where Shades of Death Road seems to have a few places with some large stories attached to them. Clinton Road has many smaller tales that range all over the esoteric. Clinton Road is a long, lonely, and unkept strip of asphalt that runs alongside the small town of West Melford, New Jersey. This 10-mile stretch of road has been giving people the creeps around the area since it was first settled. J. Percy Crayon wrote about the woods surrounding the road back in 1905. It was never advisable to pass through the five-mile woods after dark, our tradition tells us that it was infested with bands of robbers and counterfeiters to say nothing of the witches that held their nightly dances and carousels at green island and the ghosts that then made their appearance in such frightful forms this was more terrifying to the peaceful inhabitants and the wild animals or even the indians that often passed this road has so many stories associated with it that's it been called new jersey's most haunted road perhaps the most haunted road in the country Let's just take a look at a few of these stories, and these are all from the weird New Jersey article on their website. Once again, just fantastic stories from that place. So I'm just going to read a couple. Uh, there's just all sorts of stuff. Like I said, there's a curve on Clinton Road, known as Dead Man's Corner. It's covered in graffiti and is said to be home to cult activity. And here's the here's the little story. I have heard that down by the very end of Clinton Road, after you go down about 12 miles, there is a place called Dead Man's Corner. I heard that this is where animal sacrifices take place. If you see a cow, dead or alive, in the middle of the road, do not get out. They want to get you out of your car and kill you, or eat you. Just turn around and floor it. Allison R. There are UFO sightings as well. After we went around Dead Man's Curve, we suddenly saw a huge flash in the sky and a triangular disc. This thing was damn big in the sky. And was hovering over the trees about two hundred fifty feet in the air. My friends and I have always said we would pull over if we saw a UFO, but we were too scared. After about five minutes, it disappeared and we took off. Steve Kenelm. Strange animals have often been seen in the woods surrounding the road. I never thought that my first trip to Clinton Road would be horrifying. As we were turning, in the bushes appeared to be a grayish whitish wolf with red and yellowish eyes. Later on, no joke, my friend told me about his first trip where he also saw a grayish white wolf with red and yellow eyes running in the bushes. Amy Piquenok. And of course, there is the famous legend of the boy who drowned under a bridge. And if you throw a quarter into the water, the ghost of the boy will throw it back up. Yesterday at 8pm, me and my friend Mike were going to a movie at the drive-in. We took Clinton Road. We stopped on the bridge and he told me all the stories about the boy being killed and all. So I threw a quarter off the edge and we drove away. On the way home at 11.30, we passed over the bridge and stopped because Mike wanted to point out the kid's name on the side of the bridge. Just when he said the kid's name, a quarter something metal was thrown hard against the window of the car. We were shocked for a minute, but then drove away. I'm not going down that road for a long time, and that was sent in by Anonymous. There are also phantom trucks that barrel up and down the road. Some seem to be just ghostly lights in the distance, but others are corporeal and can be followed. They pull into what seems to be some sort of mine. Um, I'm going to point out in a little bit there is a series of YouTube videos where these guys follow these trucks around and try to figure out where they're coming and hijinks ensue, but we'll get back to that in a little bit. And then there is Cross Castle. The castle was built around 1905 by Richard J. Cross, and his family lived there until he died in 1917. In 1919, the family sold it to the city of Newark, and shortly after, a fire destroyed the building, leaving only the stone walls. Then in 1988, it was torn down because it was deemed unsafe. There have been many strange occurrences at the castle. Here are just a few. The albinos of Clinton Road. One time, when a bunch of us climbed up the walls, we did see something. We were up there and we saw two white figures, they were about 100 yards away from our friends on the ground. They couldn't see them from their vantage point. They came within 100 yards of the group and then disappeared into the woods. We got back down the terra firma. We told them about it, and that's when the story started coming. That there was instantly talk about Alvino Village in the woods from Brian R. Chance at Clinton Castle. After one night of hearing tales, me and six others decided to go to the castle. As we got up the dirt road that wound up to the castle, we parked the cars, got out, lit a fire and drank some beer. After about half an hour, we began to hear chanting and chains rattling. One of the girls started to go into a seizure. Three of us tried to move her up to no avail. It was like she was nailed to the rock. Then the chanting stopped. A girl came around. We all looked at each other like, what the hell is going on here? From G.J.R. There's also a ton of rumors about the ruins having been used for meeting places from, from you know, Satanist groups to the KKK. There's a lot of strange graffiti painted on the walls. All that before it was torn down. I guess if you go there now, you can still find the foundation, but that's about it. That's all that's left of Clinton Castle. And, I mean, there's stuff like that all over the place. We have a road here around Troy called uh, Horseshoe Bend Road, which has the same stuff. You know, oh, KKK meets there, and there's Satanists there, and there's all this weird graffiti. It's just—it's a very odd road for around here because uh, we're in Midwest Ohio, and it's pretty... Plains. It's pretty flat. And then you get to this this little road, and it's just two really sharp switchbacks. It's like, for a little bit, you're driving down a mountain. It feels like you're driving down a mountain in California or, you know, Tennessee or something for just a little bit. Two real tight switchbacks, and you get back there. And, of course, there's a bridge at the end of this road. And, you know, the legend goes that if you knock on this bridge, you will see... Uh, someone hanging in one of the trees because someone was killed there, you know. Every place has a graffiti-laden ruins where the uh, KKK and the Satanists all hang out. But they're always, there's always stories like that almost every place you go. And I wanted to get back to the trucks and stuff. So there is a YouTuber... Named Mikey Mavs, and he does a lot of videos. Like this isn't like his main thing. He does videos about his cars. He just does, he's a vlogger basically, but he does have a whole series. He lives in New Jersey. Whole series of videos where they go out to Clinton Road and just test all this stuff out. They throw the quarter over the bridge. They follow the trucks and see where they're going. They spend the night out there. There's a whole bunch of them. So. In the show notes, I'm going to link to a couple of the videos where they're dealing with the trucks, and from there you can just, you know, branch out and watch all the other shenanigans they get up to out on Clinton Road, and see what they find out. Some interesting results, some fun, some fun uh, results that come from that road. But that is the main meat of episode three. We've talked about our roads. We're going to take a short musical interlude with uh, new music. Actually, not new music. It's music. It's a song I did a long time ago, but somehow got skipped over. I think it got stuck in a folder it wasn't supposed to be in. I was looking through stuff, trying to clean some stuff up. I'm like, oh, this never got turned into, like, a waveform to be stuck into the show and be used as music. So we're going to listen to Broken Ghost. And when we come back, we are going to do the local headlines. Okay, and here we are with this episode's local headlines. The first one is from KGW8 that's out in North Carolina. The author on this is Brandon Goldner, and this is North Carolina Man Claims He Spotted Three Bigfoots. Big feet? Hickory, North Carolina. A Hickory man has shared a video claiming it shows an encounter with three Bigfoots in the North Carolina foothills. Doug Teague said he shot the video two weeks ago while retrieving game cameras he set up in a wood area of McDowell County. Teague said he was walking back to his truck with his dog, Crazy Daisy, when the encounter happened. A rock was thrown. My dog chased it, he said. I just kind of stopped, took the phone out, gazed the hill, he said, and then he spotted three different Bigfoots watching him from a hill. He said he recorded about ten minutes of video during the encounter. He shared a snippet of it with NBC Charlotte. I was like, a giddy school kid, he said, just nervous, heart beating. it was crazy. He's a member of the Catawba Valley Bigfoot Research Club in McDowell County. The county is considered a hotspot for Bigfoot sightings, though the path leading to the larger-than-life creature often goes cold. Scientists argue there is no evidence Bigfoot exists, and many consider it a myth. There's probably a lot more evidence than people realize, he said. People hide it. They don't want people to ridicule them. And this next one's a little different, it's more of a sciencey article, but it just goes to show that there are still a lot of places in this world where we don't know what's going on. And this is from NBCNews.com, strange life forms deep in a mine point to a vast underground Galapagos. And this is by Corey S. Powell. Something odd is stirring in the depths of Canada's kid mine, the zinc and copper mine 350 miles northwest of Toronto is the deepest spot ever explored on land and the reservoir of the oldest known water. And yet, 79,000 feet below the surface, in perpetual darkness and in waters that have remained undisturbed for up to 2 billion years, the mine is teeming with life. Many scientists had doubted that anything could live under such extreme conditions, but in July, a team led by the University of Toronto geologist Barbara Sherwood Lawler reported the mine's dark deep water harbors a population of remarkable microbes. The single celled organisms don't need oxygen because they breathe sulfur compounds, nor do they need sunlight. Instead they live off the chemicals in the surrounding rock, in particular the glittery mineral pyrite, commonly known as fool's gold. It's a fascinating system where the organisms are literally eating fool's gold to survive. Sherry Lawler Sherry, I'm sorry, Sherwood Lawler said. That's what, what we are finding is so exciting, it's like being a kid again level exciting. Sherwood Lawler is excited not because of the peculiar minds rocketing life, but also because of the growing realization that strange forms of life might not be so peculiar after all. Scientists are starting to find similar microbes in other deep spots, including boreholes, volcanic vents, on the bottom of the ocean and buried sediments far beneath the seafloor. The deep microbial realm reveals a biosphere that's more extensive, resilient, varied, and strange than we had realized," said Robert Hazen, a mineralogist at the Carnegie Institution's Geological Laboratory in Washington, and co-founder of the Deep Carbon Observatory Project, a global project to study the deep biosphere. Cut off from light, air, and any connection to the surface, the shadowy realm seems to be more like an alien world than part of Earth. Hazen said exploring it could help us understand how life might have begun on other planets, as well on our own. We might even find animal-like creatures living undetected right beneath our feet. Lots of life at the bottom. Sherwood Lawler's work builds on a 2018 report by a deep carbon observatory scientist who tried to map the total extent of Earth's deep biosphere comprehensively for the first time. In the eye-opening report, a team led by Caro Mankabazgo a geobiologist at the Swiss Central University, ETE Zurich, estimated that some 5 to the 10th to the 29th power cells live deep in the Earth. That's 500,000 trillion trillion cells. Collectively, they weigh 300 times as much as all the living people combine. The team describes this hidden ecosystem as an underground Galapagos. The denizens of the deep are an exotic bunch even beyond their appetite for solid rock. One species of microbe, can live at temperatures of 250 degrees Fahrenheit, well above the boiling point of water and close to the theoretical limit at which vital organic molecules start to disintegrate. Separate studies of material drilled near the Mariana, Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean hit that some organisms could be living six miles below the seafloor, limited only by the heat at such tremendous depths. Laboratory experiments show that some microbes can tolerate pressures 20,000 times higher than the air pressure at sea level. Meaning that there are certainly more extreme ecosystems out there than the one in Kid Mine. We're finding that we really don't understand the limits of life, Sherbert Lawler said. The pace of existence in the deep also seems radically different from that on the surface. In ancient environments, like the trapped waters at the bottom of Kid Mine, food and energy are scarce. To compensate, cellular metalo- metabolism slows almost to a standstill. Many of the microbes may survive for thousands of years or more without dividing, just replacing the broken parts," said Karen Lloyd, a University of Tennessee microbiologist who studies life at the bottom of the ocean. There are so many dead microbes that, despite seemingly lazy existence, they collectively exert a huge impact on their habitats. For instance, a community of cells on the ocean floor consume methane gas that bubbles up from ancient sediment. Deep surface microbes, subsurface microbes eat massive amounts of methane that would otherwise be released. Boyd said, helping curb atmospheric levels of potent greenhouse gas. Back to beginnings. One of the big questions facing Sherbert Lawler is how deep life communities of the Kid mine is related to those found in other mines or stretched out beneath the oceans. The number of systems we've looked at so far is really limited, she said. But they probably had a simple origin at some point in life's four billion year history. If so, there should be clues about when and how life first colonized the deep fossils show that the surface life has changed enormously over billions of years, but slow-motion deep life may retain much of its primitive characteristics. That's especially true at Kidd Mine, which in one of the oldest, most stable portions of the Earth's crust, the rock and around the mine have been laid undisturbed for 2.7 mil- billion years, and have been cool enough to support life for at least 2 billion years. Sherbert Lawler wants to sequence the genes of the Kidd Creek microbes, and then do a 23-me-style analysis to unravel their kinship to other residents of the deep earth. Are they still close to relatives, or have they diversified and adapted significantly to their local environments? It's a delicate project, but one she hopes to have results within a year or two. Such studies could offer hints about where life first arose on earth. Charles Darwin imagined the beginning might have occurred in a warm little pond, but there's absolutely no reason why it could not have been a little warm Rock feature, Sherbert Lawler said. In many ways, she noted, sulfur breathing microbes living beneath the thick, protective layers of rock would have been well-suited to brutal conditions on our planet when it was young. Another, even wilder possibility, is that life originated more than once, with other forms still surviving somewhere on Earth. We've literally only scratched the surface of the deep biosphere, Hazen said. Might there be entire domains that are not dependent on the DNA, RNA, and protein basins of life as we know it, Perhaps we just haven't found them yet. Paul Davies, a physicist at Arizona State University, has long advocated systemic searches for known shadow life. The recent fortes in the deep biosphere show how it might be done. Since known organisms cannot survive above 250 degrees Fahrenheit, Davies suggests going to extreme environments around undersea volcanic vents, for instance, and checking for anything that appears alive at a temperature around 300 to 400 degrees Fahrenheit. That would stand out as a candidate for shadow life, he said. Ever cautious, Gerber Lawler points out that she hasn't found any evidence of shadow life at the Kid Mine, but she heartily agrees that scientists need to keep a wide open mind about what could be lurking within the deep world. We only see what we are looking for. If we don't look for something, we miss it. And I know that was a pretty windy article, a pretty long one, and a very sciency one, but it just goes to show that there is life on this planet that is not following the rules. So, what else is out there that isn't following the rules as we know it? Yeah, sure, these are just small little microbes, but, you know, what else is out there that we just we can't find it because we don't know yet how to look for it? And our last story comes from the Taos News. I believe this is uh, in New Mexico because it says something about Santa Fe. The headline reads, A Taos Close Encounter of the Hunters and Aliens Kind." Stacy Matlock of uh, the Taos News. Bow hunters Josh Brinkley and Daniel Lucero, dressed in camouflage gear, looked a little uncomfortable sitting in chairs at a local newspaper. The Santa Fe County residents had just come into Taos after several days in rugged terrain near Cerro de la Ola, also called Pot Mountain, northwest of the town near Oot Mountain. They had a strange tale to tell, and they weren't sure of their reception. We're a couple of guys that don't believe in much, but we believe now," Brinkley said. They were hunting for elk. They encountered aliens or something else so strange they don't know what to call it. Brinkley, 41, said he had been going to Pot Mountain area for 15 years. He had never seen anything particularly odd. He said he works construction and on movie sets. He's a family guy who doesn't want anything, anyone to think he's crazy. He and Lucero have worked together for eight years. They say they aren't prone to seeing things and didn't particularly believe in aliens. Opening morning of bow hunting season was Sunday, September 1st. The two men had got a couple days early to scout the area for elk. Lucero, 26, had never been there. They set up along the tree line on different sides of the field and waited. After three hours and no elk, Brinkley became restless. It was about 9.30 a.m. I take to walking off, creeping around, walking through the woods looking for elk, Brinkley said. He reached the top of the mountain, where there is a caldera kind of wide bowl left behind by a collapsed volcano he went to the edge on the southwest side as he walked to the edge he noticed two figures on his side of the caldera he thought at first they were hunters but they were very tall shapes of these beings standing side by side staring right at me he said he walked toward them across the brushy field he estimates they were about 35 yards away as a bow hunter where measuring distance is critical to hitting a target he's pretty adept at it He went around the bush and looked again. The figures were gone. He looked around and didn't see them. Figured I would talk to them. They were gone. Just gone, Brinkley said. He thought more about what he had seen. With their lower half concealed by the bushes in the caldera, he had only seen them from the waist up. The shape would have been like their heads. It looked like they had huge hoods on. It looked like two ribbons coming off either side to a point at the top and bottom, like a banana. The right side was black, and the left side was white and a little shiny. Tauruses were kind of in shock. I couldn't see many details, but it definitely looked like clothes in the middle of an oval was just gray. He thought maybe it was the back of Hunter's heads, but it looked too strange, too crazy. Later, he drew what he could remember of them in a leather-bound sketchbook he carries with him, and he drew what he saw next. Brinkley hurried back to where Lucino was still waiting. Still no elk. I was a little weirded out, he told his friend. He told Lucino he had seen a couple of hunters and that's probably what scared off the elk. He couldn't bring himself at first to say what he might have just imagined. They went back to camp. I couldn't take it anymore, Brinkley said. I told him what I saw, and it was weird. They were too tall, and their heads were too big to be hunters. Anyone who knows me knows I don't tell, tell these weird stories. Lucero said that he had known something was up, when Brinkley had walked, walked back quickly and noisily up to his position at the field. Normally, his friend is quiet. A hunter's slower, more measured speed through the bushes. After Brinkley told him, Lucerne felt a little weird, too. I didn't know what to believe, Lucerna said. Brinkley kind of rode it off of what they saw. On Labor Day, September 2nd, they headed out again to hunt early in the morning and hiked all around the area. No elk. They got back to their jeep at about 2.30pm. We couldn't figure out why there were no elk, Brinkley said. They decided to drive to the other side of the mountain and see if there were other hunters or four-wheelers scaling off the elk. As they drove, the men saw no signs of any wildlife at all, they said. They drove about 10 minutes when they saw it. They both work on movie sets. At first they thought it was a movie- base camp. It's this big tent structure, like a circus tent, 50- 60 feet tall. Coming off to the left of it was this long building, almost like what you would build for an archery lane for target practice. It was a third of the height, but really long, maybe a couple of hundred feet. They were about a quarter of a mile away and couldn't see the bottom of the structure. They watched it for about a minute as they drove. "'What is it?' he asked Luceno. "'A base camp for a movie, or are they building an alien ship set?' "'They drove down a little hill. Lost sight of the structure for almost five seconds,' Brinkley said. "'When we, when we topped the hill, it was gone. Just gone. Luceno said he was watching the whole time while Brinkley drove, except for those few seconds. There was no dust. There was nothing,' Lucerno said. They drove around the area searching for what they could see until dark. "'Nothing.' I just know it was real, Brinkley said. It was huge and white and then gone. When the two men reached the place with cell signal, they told a few friends what they had seen. They thought about calling the Air Force. A friend of them, a friend put them in touch with Peter Davenport, longtime executive executor of the National UFO Reporting Center in Washington State. Davenport referred they had called him. It was a dramatic story, he said. If it's true, it's profoundly unsettling. He said out of the thousands of calls he gets every year about supposed alien sightings, they rarely describe seeing aliens on the ground. They aren't the first hunters to see something they can't explain. Four hunters in Chalice, Idaho in 2000 described having a large triangular craft over a couple of hundred feet above them moving over the mountains. After listening to some 350,000 phone calls over 25 years, Davenport thinks he can tell those who are credible. This was one of them, he said. Brinkley and Lucerne said they weren't drinking and they weren't on drugs. The hardest thing is telling their story. People probably think we are insane, Brinkley said. He said he didn't believe in UFOs. I sure do now, he said. Lucerne said he doesn't know about aliens. I just know I've never seen anything that big just disappear. The two aliens you can say I imagine. But you cannot explain something that big just gone, Brinkley said. After telling their strange tale, the hunters did what they came to do. Go out and try it one more time to find some elk. And that is our local headlines for this week. Check out the show notes if you want to look at that video of the Bigfoot. And there's some pictures on this, this townhouse alien. He's got some pictures of the sketches that they made, which are pretty interesting shows where they went. But we're going to come back after the boom here with your listener story. Okay, we have a couple of listener stories to finish out the episode. This first one is from a anonymous one that remain anonymous Reddit user from Moosewell Hill in London. Okay, so this happened about seven years ago when I was seen an in X and I pretty much lived at hers. Four of us were hanging out. It was dark outside, but light inside. We had a window open at the far end of the room. We were all talking, and suddenly we all heard a strange white noise, static sound coming from the window. When we looked over, there was a strange black shape which seemed to have all points stretching in and out, almost resemble, resembling a digital 3D modeling, but just messing around with the points stretching them as far out as the triang- so a triangle would appear. And I think what he's talking about is when you, if you really want to be nerdy about it, uh, when you get into 3D modeling programs you can grab the, the polygons and just kind of pull them out and they eventually become pointed and look like triangles. Or... Uh, if you've ever had your PlayStation Three go berserk and the GPU start screwing up in it, you'll see those. You'll see it start pulling polygons in the video game you're playing, and you'll get a, an effect like that. But you know, not like I've ever had that happen to me or anything. Back when I used to play video games, but I digress. The only thing I can explain the depth of the black is that, is that it's what I imagine looking into a black hole would be like. Time seemed to feel slower. I'm guessing this is due to a strange unexplained thing happening. After a few seconds of it hovering, it darted under the sofa in her room. We all kept silent for about a minute, all confused. To a friend, them saying, holy fuck, did you see all that? To all of us who were slightly freaking out. I then lifted the sofa and found nothing under there. Strangely enough, a few months later, a friend at the time posted a post on Facebook saying that last night... Her and her boyfriend were woken in the night by a loud white noise. When they turned on the light, they saw the exact same thing floating near the opening, which then darted under their chest of drawers. I've read online about a lot of people experiencing the same thing. I've had a few thoughts of my own about it, what it could could be, and came to a strange theory that it could have been some sort of fourth-dimensional break in our 3D world. I watched a video about it, how a 2D world creature would be able to see the X and the Y paths, but not the Z. So for them to see, let's say a finger pressing against their surface, it would be the only point of which direct contact with the plane that they would see, something strange emerge, but it wouldn't be a finger. It would be a small ball, which grows in shape as the finger presses harder. So let's say a fourth dimensional object or being slightly touching our world would be the strange unexplained shape unexplained shape, which we wouldn't be uh, able to identify. Also, I've read about science behind the fourth dimension and that any sound wouldn't be able to be heard and it would just sound like static. I've posted this story before online to get people just saying it's a shadow being, etc, etc, but I don't believe in demonic shadow beings. Anyway, has anyone had any similar experience or seen the same thing? It seemed my ex-attracted a lot of unexplained happenings, which I've only experienced around her, so I posted this on I didn't post this I put this on the on the podcast so I can I'm gonna post the link to this so if anyone's ever had anything else like this out there maybe you can get on there and chime in about it and our last story comes from Cherry Jane Cook in League City Texas she sent me in a couple of little stories but this one had a lot of meat to it so I'm going to uh, do this one on the show moving to the city of League City Texas. From my mom's job with NASA in 1965. My mom and I were exploring all parts of League City. We had heard stories of the forest behind Walter Hall Park, caves that no one wants to visit as they have been many paranormal experiences. But my focus on the paranormal really spiked down, really spiked down a gravel road, which became our instant mystery. As mom and I drove down an unknown gravel road, exploring in 1964, we came upon a house completely burnt to the ground Silverware and other items were left at what we would soon find out was the Ross Mansion on the left side of the road. Immediately, we were drawn to the right side of the road. Tall weeds would give way to our investigation. A large caisson used for transferring caskets to the area. It was in beautiful shape and had its wheels intact. Walking through the tall weeds, probably full of snakes, but with a sincere quest, not afraid, we found many headstones from the 1800s to the late 1900s. There were mothers and fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers, children who died at an early age, and many more who would who may be uncles or aunts, cousins, etc. I wish I had taken pictures, but did not have a camera with us. We took nothing from the site and felt a strong relationship to those who have died there. Tears flowed. Both my mother, now deceased, and I are impasse and sensitives, and could feel the sorrow and pride from these souls who have passed on, but were still stuck to the property. My mom first became city secretary to major mayor johnny arlofolo before her job at nasa we were both captivated by the property we had found there were no records of the property being protected and it just seemed to just go away from history later the subdivision of clear creek village was formed and still no records of the small cemetery being moved long after in 1998 my husband and i were searching for a new home to rent until ours was ready the first house we were showed was approximately on or adjacent to the former property my mother and I had discovered many years ago in 1964. The minute I entered the abandoned and very messy home, I became nauseous and completely in the spot that was so oppressed, hard to breathe. felt like I was surrounded by such sadness and a need for recognition. I could not wait to get out of that house. I had to go outside to recover. Although I have tried to reach out to others in that neighborhood, they will not respond or claim they have no paranormal experiences. As far as the Walter Hill Park hauntings, I have not investigated the area, but it's across the small waterway of Clear Creek Tributary, very close to what is now Clear Creek Village Subdivision. The area of the WHP was originally a poor farm occupied by families, convicted murderers, and pedophiles, the mentally insane, and those who had nothing. I can only imagine of the horrors of this poor farm, where poor families reside amongst thieves, murderers, mentally ill souls, and so many dangers. I pray for these families and for the forgotten souls of the Ross Manson family. So I thought that was, a pretty, that was a pretty good story, just how they found her and her mom found that place in the 60s, and then she finds her way back there much later in life. And those are our listener stories for this episode. And that is a wrap on this episode of the show. If you have a story or experience of your small town to share, uh, there's a bunch of ways to do it. You can get on social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Facebook and Twitter is both at STScast and Instagram is stscast.gram. You can get on there and let me know about it. We can work it out that way. Uh, there is a subreddit, which is STS listener Stories, that I will you can find on the website and you can go there and leave your experience for the show. Or like I said, on the website at sts.stcast, dot com. You can scroll down to the bottom of that main page and there is a email form to fill out. So if you've got a story, uh, do you have an encounter, do you have like a local legend, Do you've got like a like a a true crime thing that happened in your small town and you want it to share it and be on the show. Uh, There are ways to make it happen. I would like to thank everyone for listening. I don't think I've done that in a while. And it's just, it's been a great experience and it's soldiers on so many things coming up. So many things to look forward to, um, you know, just go and support Dirty Knee Soap Company, support Big Heads Media. That all helps support this show. Uh, if you want some merch, once again, go to stscast.com and click on the merch tab and you can find all sorts of goodies there T-shirts and mugs and travel mugs and hat maybe not hats yet uh, hoodies just all sorts of great stuff uh, there. Other ways you can support the show is just tell a friend or like ten of them, or go on to iTunes and leave a rate and review, or go on to your podcatcher of choice and leave a rate and review, and just you know engage with me on social media. All those things support the show. All those things help it grow. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with Episode 4 of Season 2. So until then, remember, every town has a secret. What is yours?